0: And she said to me, she said, that's weird. Could they be reading my emails? That's creepy. To recognize these God-given rights, that rights come from God, not from government. I don't want to be an enemy of the surveillance state unless I understand that the surveillance state is already my enemy. It's already the enemy of the people. It's already the enemy of liberty.
1: I'd like to welcome to everyone to the podcast and if love remains. And I am just absolutely privileged and honored to have C. Mitchell Shaw with us today on the show. Uh, Mitch has become a, a fast friend of mine. Uh, I think we just met what a month or two ago, I think. And uh, yeah, this is just about two months. Just about two months, and uh, it's just been a great talking to Mitch. And he's a fascinating guy. I think you're going to love. Hearing hearing from him. Um, he is the host of Enemy of Surveillance Podcast. You can find that anywhere you find your uh, podcast, his uh, uh, enemy of surveillance Is it
0: dot pod t- podbean.com? Is so, that right? So it's so it's enemy of surveillance dot and it's the enemy of the surveillance state
1: podcast. Enemy of the surveillance state podcast. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that. In fact, this um, let me ask you this, Mitch, and we're going to we're going to get we're going to dive deep a little bit into your story. But why should people be worried about the the surveillance state that we're in right now? Why why should people even have that on their mind right now? What What is what's something wow. that people should think about?
0: You, you know, no one ever asks me that question. <laughs> uh, that's that is the the question, um, because and it's normally phrased like this, Mike, it's normally phrased hey, as long as I don't have anything to hide, why should I care? Right. Uh, And my answer is, and I stole this from a guy named Todd Weaver that runs a company that builds uh, laptops and now a phone that are geared toward protecting your privacy. His answer, and I loved it, is it's never about what you have to hide. It is always about what you have to protect. And the way I've always, the analogy that I use, um, so you come up to your front door, you've been out doing some grocery shopping, right? You come up to your front door, you're, loaded down with bags of groceries, and now you've got to fish around and juggle groceries, maybe put some stuff down on the porch or whatever, fish out your car key or your house keys, uh, unlock your front door, and now pick up groceries and get back into the house. And you got to go back and, and kind of close the door and lock it again. Wouldn't it be easier just to leave the door unlocked? Right? I mean, that would be so much simpler. Sure. But you will never do that. You will never leave your house unattended without the door locked. Why? Because you've got stuff in there that's worth protecting. You're not hiding anything. You just got some stuff to protect, right? You've got, uh, and in in the digital space, it's really not any different than that. So um, maybe- What are some of the things that we need to
1: protect in the digital space?
0: Okay. So I would say uh, our identity, our ideas, our our wives and children, our husbands, you know, our loved ones. um, We need, so as a husband and a father, this is a big deal to me because, you know, I, I try- uh, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't walk on water or anything like that. Sometimes my, my ankles get wet when I try. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I try to think in terms of, as a husband and a father, what am I called to do in any given situation that's presented to me, right? Uh, if it's like, where are we going to live? What job am I going to take? You know, how am I going to handle this situation or that situation? As a husband and a father, I have to take my wife and children into account. Uh, in fact, before myself. They should matter to me more than I matter to me. Uh, and if you feel differently about that, uh, you're probably wrong about other things. too. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, but so uh, maybe, maybe by way of analogy, this would be a good way of, of explaining it. So I remember years ago, uh, my wife had, um, we were just having a conversation about the, you guys, remember, do you remember the old department store, Rose's? there were roses department stores everywhere Sure yeah I don't, I don't know if you had those out there but they were like man it was like there was you know Walmart Kmart Roses uh-huh. you know, those are like the the three big box stores and then Roses just dried up and blew away So my wife was um curious as to whether there were any Roses stores anywhere around anymore so she did an internet search for Roses um no no she was emailing a friend. That's what it was. She was emailing a friend and she mentioned the time when they had been to roses years before. Right. And then that was that. Right. So then like two days later, all of her ads on the left, on the right hand side of her computer screen were for florists and deals on roses. Wow. And she said to me, she said, that's weird. Could they be reading my emails? And I was like, well, you use Gmail. So yeah. Right. And she said, that's creepy. It is? And you know what, Mike? It is creepy. It is creepy that, now, let me be clear. A human being is not sitting there parsing through her emails. They have a computer that runs an algorithm, a math program, that sorts that out by keywords and tries to figure out what that means. And it's not perfect. That's why they didn't know she was talking about Rosa's department store, So they thought she was talking about Rosa's. But nonetheless, they latched onto what they saw as a marketable keyword. And you go, i oh, a big deal. So she saw ads for for flowers. That doesn't really infringe on anyone's privacy. Well, what if you have to Google an embarrassing medical question? What if you have to ask about a rash or an itch in a weird place? And then three days later, you start seeing those ads. Here's what that means. That means that Google, the people at Google now have access to the question that you asked and this weird medical situation you've got going on. It means that all of their advertisers that buy that information from them so that they can pump ads, you know that. And that's weird. It's that's just weird. Just creepy. And sometimes it could be, well, sometimes, it, yeah, it is. And sometimes it could be way worse than just weird or creepy. So um, uh, in, my, in my podcast, Enemy of the Surveillance State, um, uh, the very first episode, I dealt with this question, why surveillance matters, even if you think you have nothing to hide. Uh, and I played a couple of sound clips in that. One was from Ed Snowden's interview uh, with, gosh, now I don't remember the, the journalist, but this is the guy that traveled out to Russia to meet Ed Snowden. It was his first real interview uh, post his banishment, uh-huh. and um, and he he mentioned uh, that if you're doing something live on the web. So you're creating a Google document. You're using Gmail. So that's actually a web based email service. You're not creating that email on your computer. Your computer is being treated essentially as a workstation connected directly to Google's servers. And what you are typing, you are typing directly into Google's servers. So it is not just that they see the finished product. Here's what happens. You're typing out an email. And you don't really like the last clause that you type. So you pause for, say, 3.2 seconds and you backspace over that clause and you pause for 1.6 seconds and you type a new clause. They don't just see the finished product. They actually have a record of that entire timeline that their computers can tag later and, and at any point forever now, because that is part of this permanent record. It exists in perpetuity. Someone can go back and pull that up. And look at you, actually, they can see the data stream of you typing that in and using psychological profiling techniques. They don't just know what you wrote, Mike. They know what you were thinking when you wrote it. So it's an invasion into your actual mind.
1: That's a, That's wild. I, I never thought of it that way of, of, of ty- having my computer, which I, you know, theoretically own and having it literally be nothing more than a term- terminal into a a larger uh, database that I'm just contributing to on a daily, hourly, minutely basis.
0: Oh, yeah. So when you think about the word internet, we use that word so much that it's it's like all these other words, they sort of lose their meaning, which is why people use web and internet interchangeably. And I won't get into the nuts and bolts, but the web is one thing and the internet is something else. And the easiest way to explain that is the internet is uh, hardware and the web is Software. So the web is sites that are built on top of the internet. So okay. the Internet, let's, let's pick that word apart for a moment. Internet. It is a network of networks. It is an internetwork, right? And your computer, if you're online right now, is part of that. Now, does that mean that you're hosting a web page? No. But does it mean that if somebody really knows what they're doing, they could get into your computer? It means that, yes, yeah, it does. Because you are part of that network of networks, if you're connected. You're not just accessing it. You're plugged into it. And that's fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not anti-tech. Uh, I was that guy that in the 1980s when everybody got a digital watch for Christmas. You remember that, Mike? Sure. Everybody that, that year got a digital watch. the, the big Christmas black beast. Video, <laughs> yeah, and some of that video games on Like you might have Pac-Man on it right. or, or Galaga. You remember that? So that year after Christmas break, I was the kid standing in line in the playground with a queue of kids in front of me handing me their phones and I'm setting their phones up, or their watches. I'm sorry. They're handing me their watches and I'm setting them up and handing them back to them because I've just always been that guy. I'd come over to your house and you know, you've know, you had your VCR for a year and a half and it's still flashing 12. Right? <laughs> so you can't, you can't record days of our lives or general hospital. You've to my house last Anyway, <laughs> right, right, right. So you've still got a VCR with the dude, well, I bet you have know. a fax machine too. I'm old. School. Um, so, right. So they have still got that fact every, every now and again, I'll get this thing where it's like, uh, you've got a document that you got to send to somebody. they are like, can you fax that to me? I'm like, well, why don't I send it by pony express? <laughs> right. Fax? Are you kidding? Facts? Is this 1873? <laughs> are you insane? Right. Why can't I just email this to you? <laughs> um, wow. I'll take a picture of it and text it to you. How about that? There you go. Uh, but so I, so you can't record Days of Our Lives or General Hospital. You shouldn't have been anyway. But worse than that, you couldn't because you, you, your clock wasn't set. Right. So I'd set your clock up for you and leave. And then, unless you get a power outage, you're good to go. Power outage, I'd have like six people call me, man, can you come over? Yeah, I'm on my way. <laughs> uh, I've always been that guy. So I love technology. I really do. But I recognize that it's sort of like electricity. If you, if you use it well, it is your friend. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're about to get your shoes knocked off. It, it's going to do some damage. Yeah. It's going to put a mark on you that Ajax won't take off.
1: It really is so, sobering. You know, we have to think about it in that, in those terms as, as a tool, as a sh- very extremely sharp tool that we're wielding around unknowingly, you know, knowing what the damage absolutely. we can do.
0: So, so an analogy I like to use is that things tools are amoral, right? Like let's take an axe. whether you've ever used an ax or not, you've seen an ax and you know what it's for. An axe, if you use it to chop firewood for your grandmother, is a good tool. If you use it to chop your grandmother, it is a bad tool. (laughs) But the axe itself is neither good nor bad. Uh, It's all about how it's being used. It's about the motivations of the people using it. By the way, if you're chopping firewood for your grandmother with an axe and you're six years old, it's a bad tool. You have no business wielding that. You're going to chop your foot off. Right. Okay. So it really is not just about your motives, but it's also about, like, do you know what you're doing? Should you even be doing this? Sure. Uh, it's like, you know, firearms. I, I, I worked in a store many, many years ago, and we, one of the things that we sold, amongst other things, was firearms. And this uh, this guy brought his wife, and he was taking a new job. He's going to be traveling a bunch, so he wanted her to get a gun for the house. And she was really, really nervous about it. And I took him off to the side, and I said, man, um, do you own guns? He said, I do. I said, take her out to the range. Come back and see me in six months. Get her used to a gun. Do not buy this woman a gun. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't want to know what she's doing. And it's going to be super dangerous for her to own a gun. And so he left. I I didn't even try to sell him a gun. You know, not that I'm, I'm I'm not anti-gun. I'm very pro second amendment. I'm very pro firearm ownership, the right to keep and bear arms, all of that. But there are people that just because of who they are and their level of comfort with that or their level of expertise with that, just don't need to handle guns. Uh, and technology uh, can be that same way. Uh, so one of the analogies that I use, and it's, it's, um, it's why I use guns as sort of a, a step into that, the Second Amendment says a well-regulated militia being necessary, et cetera, right? Right. So a well-regulated militia. Th- these are people that got together on a regular basis and trained in the use of their arms, and they trained in the use of uh, using their arms together as a unit, as a cohesive unit. The problem that we have uh, with technology is that most people will say something like, "Well, man, I don't even understand technology, so like, I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing." But there are web forums out there. There are sites that you can visit that will instruct you and help you to better understand this uh, and get you to a place where you are part of that well-regulated militia of the enemies of the surveillance state, because. Uh, getting back to like why that even matters because like i don't want to be an enemy of the surveillance state unless i understand that the surveillance state is already my enemy already the enemy of the people it's already the enemy of liberty what we used to call liberty we now have to chop up into pieces and talk about those uh component parts and one of those component parts is privacy like i have the right to communicate without anyone else listening to, reading, or harvesting that communication. that That is my right. And if I don't have that right, I can't really say I'm free. So, um So one one more point to, to sort of answer you. And, I, and this this one was a real shocker for a lot of my listeners. I, this is, I Like I heard back from people about this one, uh, that second sound clip that I put in that first episode. And I would recommend your listeners, if they're interested at all, just go go to... Go to that podcast. It's uh, enemyofsurveillance.podbean.com or wherever you find your podcast. Enemy of the Surveillance State. Just do a search. You'll find it. Um, and listen to the very first episode, Why Surveillance Matters, Even If You Have Nothing to Hide. That second sound clip was from a Kansas City uh, news broadcast where here's what they did. They gave a female staffer a new smartphone. And they didn't tell her what they were going to do. They just gave her the smartphone and told her to take it home and use it. Uh, you know, we'll bring it back in a couple of weeks, and we're gonna we're gonna do a, a story on this. And I, maybe maybe she thought they were just doing like a story on really new cutting edge technology or whatever, right? Right. But they bring in the security expert, and she's taking pictures of her her daughter, who's like three or four years old. I think her daughter's name is Lindsay. Um. And so she's taking pictures of her daughter, like you know, tucking her into bed at night and playing in the, at the park, and and blah blah blah. And then here's what they do. This guy, uh, she posts these pictures to Facebook, right? But what she doesn't realize is that her phone geotagged those pictures. So what that means is it it, it inserts into the metadata of the picture the geographic coordinates, the GPS coordinates for where that picture was taken. That's called XIF data, E X I F, And every digital camera has XIF data. If that digital camera is on a smartphone, that XIF data can include location information unless you deliberately turned that off, right? Um, she had not, but it's turned on. So he he goes to her Facebook page and downloads the picture, not using any special software or anything. He just looks at the properties of the picture, and there's the exit data. He opens that up in a map and shows her those coordinates, and here's the deal. Um, so here's the part where her daughter plays. Right. Here's the part of the park where her daughter plays. And then by looking at the timestamps of these pictures, he's able to see that all of these pictures take place on, and I'm just, I don't remember the exact day, but I'll just say they're all on Tuesday, and they're all between 1 and 3.30. So here's, and because the, the little girl was wearing different clothes in some of the pictures, he knows this is spread out over a series of Tuesdays, and he's looking at the timestamps, and sure enough, that confirms it. So here's what he could do. If he's a bad actor, here's what he knows. He knows that every Tuesday between 1 and 2 30 or 1 and 3 30, that mother is going to have her three-year-old daughter at that park at that location, playing on that plate set. All he has to do is distract her for a moment, and she will never see her daughter again. That's then he shows her the pictures of her daughter in her room getting ready for bed. Oh. Zooms in. Here's your house. Here's the corner of the house that is your daughter's bedroom. Now, as a husband and a father, that says to me, turn off the location information on your phone. You probably don't need it. You don't need it for camera. The only reason you will ever need to geotag a photo is if you've been in an automobile accident and you're taking a picture of it right here, right now, where this guy just clipped my bumper and mm-hmm. I may need this for the courtroom, turn on the location information, take that picture, turn it back off. You never need it for any other reason. It's right. not cool to be able to tag photos with geolocations, checking in the locations. There was a story, oh, I don't know, early early on in, in the whole social media thing. 16-year-old girl was off, uh, this was in Texas, uh, she was off on her shift to a, um, oh, what was the name of that um, ice cream shop where she worked? It doesn't matter, like a Brahms or something like okay. that. Okay, Baskin-Robbins and, type thing. Right. So so she she... Posts on social media, um, hey, headed off to work at Brahms, anybody interested, coming and hit me up. No big deal. Simple, mm-hmm. innocent post. She was never seen again because here's what happened. The guy that had been stalking her profile knew where she lived because her address was part of her profile. He knew where she worked because the address of her job was part of her profile. He knew the only route she could take to get there, and now he knew her schedule. You just intercepted, or along the way. Wow! This is why it matters. This is why privacy matters because we have things that are worth protecting: our lives, our liberty, our property.
1: Well, and we're going to talk a little involved. bit. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just just a second. Um, I want to also dig a little bit um, into your story and what got you interested in in this particular. Um, we're talking to C. Mitchell Shaw. He is the host of Enemy of, Enemy of the Surveillance State podcast which just Google it, whatever, wherever you get your podcast, you can find Enemy of the Surveillance State. Um, and we're gonna take it just a quick break and then we'll be right back. This episode of And If Love Remains is brought to you by Music by Mike, Love by You, your source for custom music. Do you have a wedding coming up? Maybe an anniversary? maybe you're starting a podcast. The best source for your custom music is you don't want off-the-shelf music for those type of hits. You want custom music. Go check out at Facebook. Music by Mike. Love by you. See what they can do for you. All right, we're back. This is And If Love Remains. It's a podcast talking about Interesting people, interesting ideas, interesting interests. And my guest today is C. Mitchell Shaw, the host of Enemy of the Surveillance State podcast. Um, just very excited to have him again. Mitch, you know, we've got to know each other a little bit, and and I'd love for for the people to know your story. How did you... I, I know that you were a, uh, a writer for The New Republic. I know you've done... Um, different things in broadcasting before um, what got you so interested in technology? Um, I, I, and, and specifically um, let's just back up. I want to hear more about Mitch.
0: Okay. Uh, so first, like I said earlier, I've just always had an interest in technology. I've always taken things apart and put them back together again. I had a, when I was like eight years old. I had this uh, Batman alarm clock that, you know, the alarm, you'd hear tires screeching on the Batmobile. And then Robin would say, something like holy smoke Batman!" it's time to get up you know, it was, it was, you know but i was a—I uh i want to know how it did that so i took it apart and saw the pieces and there was this little disc in there uh that and so i put it all back together and then i hit the the alarm button that sounded you know like i was listening to black sabbath backward or something it was like <laughs> i was like oh well, i think i did something wrong right so i took it apart flipped the disc around put it back together and then holy smoke Batman! i was like oh and now i know how that works and i'm happy so i've just always kind of been a nerd right um The two phrases that stand out from my childhood are shows potential, but fails to apply himself. That was at the bottom of every report card I ever brought home. Uh, (laughs) And no fair, we had him last time, you take him this time uh, (laughs) when they picked the team sports, right? So the (laughs) the fat kid with braces on his legs and asthma got picked right before I did. So I've always been kind of a nerd. Um, I mean, of course, I was the rock and roll rebel and all of that stuff because it was the 80s and you had to do that. But I just always really really been kind of geared toward like, uh, you know, what's behind things like, you know, uh, reading and, and things like that. So, um, raised in a very non-religious home. Uh, the only time God was mentioned in our house is as a curse word. Um, hmm. uh, or as just sort of a, an expression like, you know, well the good Lord knows or something right. like that. But I mean, there was never any, like I had no religious upbringing whatsoever. God bless him I'm as sort a pejorative. Of a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, God bless your heart, Right. which in the South, if you're not from the South, that does not mean God bless your heart. Um, <laughs> bless your heart in the South is the ugliest thing you can say about somebody. Usually <laughs> it means, oh my, but you're stupid. Right. Um, so, but then so I, I'm sort of the white sheep of my family, I guess. Um, you know, I was raised in a broken home and uh, in the finer uh, trailer parks and government housing complexes all across the Southeastern United States. Uh, but when I was 16 years old, uh, I became a Christian, I, I, a Protestant Christian, uh, and began attending church and, uh, little by little began to take that more and more seriously. Went away to Bible college. I was going to be a minister, uh, met my, my now wife, uh, there, she was up visiting some friends, uh, at that particular area. We were part of the same denomination at the time and there was a big church conference and she came up for that. Uh, so You know, we got married, you know, flash forward a couple of years, we get married, and then uh, the children started coming almost immediately. And I had never really even thought about politics. I mean, I had some sort of philosophical political ideas, but uh, I remember not knowing the difference at 18 years old between between a Democrat and a Republican. And I like to say I've come full circle. I went from not knowing the difference between a Democrat and a Republican, or let me be clear, the party, okay? Right. Uh, the Democrat Party and the Republican Party to uh, recognizing the differences between uh, the parties and their platforms, to then finally recognizing that at the leadership of both of those parties, I was right to begin with. There's not a difference, <laughs> um, you know. Sadly, uh, you know, their yeah. platforms are very different, and the average voter is very, very different. Uh, but in the parties, there's really not. Sadly, in the leadership of the parties, there's there's not that much difference um, when it comes to constitutionalism and actually abiding by the uh, God-given principles that are enumerated in the Constitution, these rights that God has given to us that we codified with the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So, so like I said, non-religious and now at 16 years old, I'm attending church on a regular basis. I've gone away to Bible college. I've met my wife. We got married. The babies start coming. And when my son, my oldest son, who's now uh, 28 years old, when he was born, and I looked at him for the first time, I realized, like, I'm not just going to die when I die. I'm leaving something here, hmm. right? That, that's going to leave something here, that's going to leave something here, that's going to leave something here. Like, I'm part of, and that means I didn't just start when I started either, by the way. Um, and so just because I came from someone who came from someone who came from someone. So I'm now part of this, like, this line. And I'd never, never thought about that. (laughs) I'm going to interrupt just a
1: second. Do you think that that huge um, change of mind that, that um, do you think a lot of that came because of your upbringing? In other words, because you were kind of in a, in a, in a broken home and and you, you'd come from a, a, a place that wasn't ideal that seeing this as a chain of events really struck you harder than most do you, do you suspect?
0: Um, you know, yeah, I do, uh, because I only because I had never thought about it and it wasn't something that was ever talked about. Uh, and now, so this is like, like, I've just discovered that water is wet and I'm like, Hey y'all water's wet, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, of course. Yeah. We, we knew that. Um, well, I didn't, you well, know, it's like I... really like this. And I this is that a not, big aha moment for me.
1: Right. And, and I ask that not because that's an obvious thing, because I don't think it is obvious. In other words, I don't think people think about that. And I think it became more acute to you because of the realization, um, of the, the, the well, stark differences and, of what you wanted versus what was.
0: Yeah. And it all happened because now when, let, let, let me, I guess one thing I should say is that my wife and I got married very young. I was 20 and she was 19. I say that we grew up together. We just did it after we got married. Um, and, and that's very, very true. Like my tongue's not even in my cheek. We grew up as a married couple. Like we came into full adulthood as a married couple with children and kids don't come with an instruction manual. Like, you know, like everything else you can just like nowadays, you just download the PDF, you know, from the website and you're good to go. Uh, kids aren't like that. It's, you know, um, so I'm looking at this, this little, this pink little boy that is my son. Like I have a son and it, that like, like I knew like she was pregnant and you know, we'd done the ultrasound. We knew we were having a little boy and we'd already named him and I'm, I'm talking to him in utero and all of that. But now I'm holding him like he's here, you know, and the, the, realization of it just really weighed on me not in a negative way I don't mean like oh what a burden I mean like it was really like just the gravity of being a father yeah and then that's when I realized like I say if if this line goes forward because I've had a child now I'm not just gonna die when I die right I'm leaving someone here right and then it, he's gonna have children hopefully and they'll leave someone here and then they'll leave someone here and then if, so if that line goes forward that means it also goes backwards it means I didn't just I'm not just here, like, I mean, I get God made me, I was already, like I say, a Christian at this point, but, but it's more than that, it's that, like, there's been a mechanism in place for me to be here, and that mechanism was my parents, and then their parents before them, and then their parents before them, and on back, and back, and back, and so I've actually looked, and like, you know, sadly, today, heritage, outside of a, a handful of Selected groups that are allowed to be proud of their heritage. Heritage just isn't even a big deal to most people anymore, and I think that's really sad. Because when I dug back, what I found out is that the Shaws uh, are Irish, which explains a lot of things about me. Uh-huh. Um, but we are not just Irish; we were the we, we are Scotch Irish, meaning that so there was this period of Irish history when um, the solution to the quote Irish problem was to get rid of the Irish. Right, like Ireland is great, but it's populated by those darn Irish. So, say what we're going to do: we're going to we're going to take the land away from them, and we're going to make these land grants to Scots who are willing to go over there and populate the island. And uh, and then, you know, of course, we'll water down the line, and you know, there'll be uh, less Irish and more Scotch, and you know, we'll we'll finally get to where we want to be. But what they didn't take into account, so my people were part of the Macintosh plan of the Scots who went over to Ireland, and then we went native. We were like, hey. These redhead girls, they're pretty, and I like the green, and I like the blue, uh, the, and, you know, I, I love Ireland. And so we just became Irish, and it really kind of backfired on on the, uh, the masters, <laughs> so to speak. So, but going back to Scotland, then, my people at Scotland, the the McIntosh clan stood beside Robert the Bruce at Panicburn, telling the English that that was too far back then right now Braveheart is about as historically accurate as, as any other made by Hollywood movie (laughs) of that era. It's not, but, but the point is there really was a Robert the Bruce and there really was a battle at Bannockburn and I was in someone's loin at Bannockburn. I was there in a very real sense. Genetically, Right. I was there and that hit me and that was kind of a big deal. So then moving forward, um, you know, we continued to have children and my wife, you, uh, you know, we, we chose to homeschool initially and then we were going to put them in public school. And uh, and then we didn't because I remember that day when like uh, my oldest son was you know, six years old and, you know, we were actually at the grocery store uh, or the the department store picking out all the things for his school list that we've gotten from the school because we registered him and they, you know, here are all the things you need this first day school, you know, crayons right and a pencil box and, and I stopped in the middle of the aisle. My wife looked at me and said, what? And I said, "This, I can't do that." She said, what do you mean? I said, I, I can't give them my only son. Hmm. I can't do this. I don't have time at the end of every day to stop and deprogram whatever they put into him. I won't know what questions to ask. I will miss something somewhere. And I don't know them. They're not accountable to me. And I can't do this. And she said, well, what other option do we have? I said, well, maybe homeschooling through kindergarten, you can do this. And she said, I-, I don't know that I'm qualified. And I said, hey, you know, you taught him to use the bathroom by himself. You taught him to eat with a fork without poking his eye out. I think he can do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so she did. She homeschooled uh, all of our kids all the way through. Uh, our youngest now is only wow. eight. So I wouldn't say all the way through, but that's our plan still. Right. Um in the interim, uh, we converted to Catholicism, and not just Catholicism, but traditional Latin mass Catholicism, uh, the way the mass was done for 1,400 years before the Second Vatican Council. Um, and the reason I mentioned all of these things about sort of my religious background and everything is not to proselytize your your listeners, this isn't the place for that, but just to say that's a huge part of who I am, right? Like, I, be, I came to recognize these god-given right right the right comes from god not from government because if government give us government can take us away and that's why people talk about you know i you will never hear me use the phrase second amendment right or first amendment right that that's that's wrong verbiage it it places the origin of that right in the document mm-hmm. that document enumerates that right it recognizes that right it does not created
1: right it's a it's God a right that's natural is right.
0: it is a god-given right that is protected by the constitution enumerated in the constitution encoded in the constitution but it is not a constitutional right if if, if the listeners take away two things from what i've got to say today i want it to be that uh, you need to check out my podcast and and learn to protect your privacy and that there's no such animal as a constitutional right they're God-given rights. They're spelled out in the Constitution. So uh, I'm a post-9-11 patriot. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, I had begun to read some of the writings of the Founding Fathers. That was cherry-picking that stuff. I'd never read the Constitution all the way through. Uh-huh. I hadn't read the Declaration of Independence since, like, third grade, and I didn't understand it then. It was just part of a school assignment. Um, so then 9-11 happened, and, you know, 9-11 was bad enough but it was a reaction after 9-11. that was the worst. Um I began to see cameras popping up on street corners. And then we got the Department of Homeland Defense and we got the Patriot Act. And, you know, I just became really concerned about what I saw happening. And I had voted for George W. Bush in 2000. Uh, so I felt personally betrayed. You know, I mean, I remember the, the pregnant chads and the hanging chads and faded <laughs> breath and waiting to find out who the president was and waking up the next morning and still right. not knowing. And right. I actually had. I actually had two editions. We were living in Columbus, Ohio at the time. I had two editions of the Columbus newspaper. One that said that, uh, that, that Bush won and one that said that Al Gore won. No way. Um, you know, because <laughs> no, I had that, I lost it in a move. I don't know what happened in the box that left behind or whatever, but, but they actually printed both editions of that newspaper and both of those wound up on my door. Both
1: and both of so, them were
0: correct for a while. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knew. Nobody <laughs> right. knew. I mean, there's, and then I remember I remember just the, the relief. Oh, thank God, George Bush is president. And then here I am just a few months later, you know, it's after September 11th, you know, it's October, it's November, and I'm watching all this stuff happen, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm glad it's not Al Gore, but I'm not, I'm no longer glad that it's Bush. Right. Uh, because the Constitution has to matter, because by this point, I started actually reading the Constitution, and I read the writings of the founding fathers. Like, I just drilled down.
1: Well, and, and-, uh, and I read... I, I'm just not to interrupt okay. again, but I'm just curious what um, was it nine eleven that got you interested in reading the the constitution more closely or or was there something else that happened in the Oh interim? no no
0: no oh, it was it was nine eleven. Okay. It it was 9 it was nine eleven. Um, because uh, it will actually say it was the aftermath of nine eleven. It was, you know, ten oh four and eleven three and right. you know, twelve seven. Uh it was, you know, it was the days and weeks and months after that when I was watching a police state form in what, what, what had been a free country. Mm. Right. Yes. Uh, and I'm watching the surveillance state. Now in my mind, I'm watching the surveillance state emerge. What, what I realized now is that I was watching the surveillance state come out into the light a little bit. It had been around since world war two in one form or another. And it had been growing, um, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I won't get into it, but your, your listeners should do a quick internet search for Five Eyes, that's spelled out, F-I-V-E-E-Y-E-S, Five Eyes. Look at who the Five Eyes nations are and what that comes from and where it is. It's, it's surveillance uh, apparatus put in place during and in the aftermath of World War II, and there are five nations that share that data with each other. The United States is one of those five nations. Uh, oddly, like the tiny little, like New Zealand, uh, is is one of the things. <laughs> wow! Uh, no, not no, yes, yes, New Zealand. Uh, so it's really, really, really odd. Um, but so I began to sort of realize all of this, and you know, I did, I did what you do if you're, you know, thirty-ish years old and uh, suddenly realizing that you live in the matrix. Right. I started filling my basement full of beans and bullets. And I bought uh, some BDUs and I, you know, was gonna be this prepper guy. And uh, fortunately I had a, a realization that this is this is not how to fight this. Uh, you know, there's no there's no real solution here because what do I think my SKS is gonna do to an f sixteen? You know, mm-hmm. I want so much to scratch the paint when my house ceases to exist. Uh, and then, you know, while while my neighbors rose marshmallows over the burning embers of myself, my wife and my children while singing Kumbaya or, you know, some war tune uh, because we, they were told that we were domestic terrorists. So not the answer, not the answer. So what is the answer? And then uh, I had come across an issue of the new American magazine and I I write for the new American. Now it's an adjunct of the John Birch society. Uh, So I, I eventually wound up sending off for a subscription to the new American and got a call from a, a great guy. His name is Michael Smart. He lives here in the Richmond, Virginia area where I live. And um, he was a field coordinator at the time, still is. And uh, he called me and he, you know, I've been reading The New American for a few weeks. And he asked the question that I had been waiting to hear without even realizing I was waiting to hear it. And his question was Mitch, you've been reading The New American for a while. You're reading about the problem. Would you like to hear about the solution? <laughs> And I said, "Please, um, yeah, yeah." So very much. And so we got together for a cup of coffee. A few days later, I wound up joining the John Birch Society, and um, and then I they they asked me to start a new chapter. So I became a volunteer chapter leader, started a chapter. Uh, a year later, there was a staff position that came available, and they offered me that staff position. I moved my family out to Texas. And uh, I was a field coordinator out there for a number of years in north and west Texas, all of Oklahoma, and one little sliver of Arkansas. It was wow. a wonderful time. Um, you know, helping uh, sort of wake – you don't create patriots, but you can wake them up and inform them. Right. right. So that's what I was doing. And wow. uh, building chapters and sort of building the organization. And then uh, they had told me when I came on staff that if ever a position came available in this area, that they would keep me in mind for that. So sure enough, they – they were good to their word. They called and, and said, hey, Mitch, um, we, we need a coordinator uh, for Virginia and North Carolina. Would you be interested? I said, yeah, absolutely. I want to get back to your near family and friends. Yeah, let's do that. So the guy that uh, had been my boss, Michael Smart, had been my regional field director. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, so he had, he had been a coordinator here, but he got promoted to regional field director and was my boss by this point. So that left this, this place open. So I came back out here. And, uh, and Mike was my boss and, uh, largely instrumental, uh, in helping me come on staff with the society and, um, just a great guy. And so, uh, moved back to the East coast and, um, this is about the time of this Snowden Revelation. So my conversation that I mentioned earlier with my wife and the Google, the Gmail thing and roses that had right. been before this, that was when we were out in Texas. And so I had begun to sort of drill down and figure out what I could do to, Uh, regain some of the privacy and liberty that was being lost. And that's when I realized, like, okay, there's more to this, and I'm not crazy. Like, Ed Snowden has just, the other shoe just finally dropped. And here are the documents, here's the evidence, here's the proof, so people can quit accusing me of wearing a tinfoil hat and all that stuff. They are spying on us, like it's actually happening. Here are government documents to prove it. And to give us a look at how they do it, the mechanisms by which they do it, so that we can formulate real responses. And this is when people began encrypting everything like iOS came out with encryption and Google followed right after that by encrypting the, uh, the Android operating system. Uh, and then, uh, I, I made a switch over to the Linux operating system for my computers and just began digging down. And if you don't know what Linux is, that's okay. When you listen to my podcast long enough, you'll figure it out. Right. Um, but, but I just began, uh, so as an outgrowth of both, um, being a husband and a father and being a Patriot, I just came to realize that like Liberty lost is maybe not never regained, but you can slide into a situation that you have to arduously climb your way back out. of.
1: Yeah. Right? It's
0: like somebody said about socialism, the problem with, with, with socialism is that you can vote your way into it, but you have to shoot your way out. <laughs> um, This is similar to that philosophically, and I'm not advocating violence. I hope nobody misunderstands what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's easier to get into a bad situation than it is to get out of it. So we've got to scramble uphill to get out of the ditch that we've allowed ourselves to slide into. And I just realized that for me and mine, it was time to do that. So I've spent most of the last several years reading, listening to, and watching pretty much everything I could get my hands on uh, about how to do that. And then... About that time, uh, there were some transitions within the John Birch Society, and um, they uh, had to let a a handful of people go just because of budgetary things. And finally, my number came up, and I didn't leave on bad terms. They just stopped paying me. So, um, (laughs) And then... And then I had this dilemma. I am a prematurely growing pear-shaped, heterosexual white male living in the United States. And the biggest thing on my resume is the John Birch Society. That, that's uh, a resume that for... <laughs> sort of sort of equates to unemployable, right? Like I that first year uh, that I was not on staff with JBS, I put in 500 resumes, all for jobs that I was qualified for. I looked at the list of like job, the, the job description, and I looked at my resume and they were like, they had copied my resume. So I was like, oh, this is 500. I got one interview and no offers. Um, so I I just decided like, oh, then I have to do something different. And back to my, my good friend, Michael Smart, uh, you know, he had, so some of the local members had sort of started hiring me to do on the side, some of the things that I had been doing as a coordinator, like, hey Mitch, you know, we've got this big uh, thing coming up about the idea of a, a modern day constitutional convention. We'd love you to come and, and speak, uh, to this group of legislators or this party or whoever, and we'll pay you to do that. So like I was sort of ad hocking that stuff, sort of, uh, freelancing. Right. and somebody had recorded one of those presentations it up on YouTube. And my friend, Mike, Mark calls me up and he goes, Hey Mitch, um, man, like I know we worked together for a while and Uh, I always knew you were a pretty good communicator, but dang, bro, that was good. I was like, oh, well, Mike, I appreciate that. He's like, have you ever done any writing? Oh, Mike, the longest thing I've written since my English 102 term paper is a note on Facebook. (laughs) Uh, He said, well, you know, why don't you think about writing for the new American? I was like, you know, uh, I'm kind of dumb and I should have thought of that myself. So I, I stopped and I thought, you know, what can I write about? Like, This is unsolicited. I'm just going to send them an article and see what they think of it, right? Right. I mean, not like I don't know them, but nonetheless, it is an unsolicited article. So, if I just pick something in the news that everybody else is writing about, then it doesn't stand out. So, I know what. I'll write about surveillance. There you go. So, my first article that I wrote, uh, and it's up on the website still all these years later, um, was... Uh, this very long treaty on pretty much this conversation, like why surveillance matters and what you can do about it, right? Uh, And I sent it in, and I heard back from the editor, Gary Benoit, uh, He called me uh, and he said, hey, Mitch, I just read your article, and I like it, uh, but two things. One, it's way long for an online article. No one's going to read anything that long (laughs) online. And then two, you address both why and how. So why don't you take the article back, carve it off into two distinct articles, one on how, right? And send me that. and then I'll publish that. And then we'll give that a couple of days to get some traction, and then you send me back the, the why article, like why does it even matter? And then we'll publish that one. Uh, and I've been writing for them ever since. Uh, I, I freelance. I'm not on staff. Uh, I write for the New American Magazine. And if your readers aren't familiar with it, it's a wonderful magazine. They really ought to check it out. It is news analysis from a constitutionalist perspective. The tagline is, that Freedom not perish yeah so there's
1: that It is a great magazine. Right. In it fact, is. it was through another um, another writer, uh, Joey, Joey Wolverton that I met you and who has his own podcast and uh, uh, it is he I mean really smart, really well thought articles. Um, something you should check out. Again, we're talking to C Mitchell Shaw, the host of the Enemy of the Surveillance State podcast. Um one of the things you mentioned as we we're going through your first of all and as everybody can hear Mitch is just an amazing storyteller so you got to check out his podcast and hear how he is able to frame and tell a story a compelling story that that is important and is really relevant to our daily lives um and I think uh you you mentioned how easy it is to fall into a pit and how hard it is to dig out and I think one of the major ways that we dig out of problems um is number one education. Have just people are so ignorant of what's going on, and that that is where the Snowden thing is was just huge. Because I, I I always feel this way, like even with um, the the Epstein thing earlier, and on all all of these things that all of a sudden pop out of existence, it's like, but we already knew all of it we 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 already knew that people are slime balls we already knew that this guy was a slime ball. we already knew that the government is doing things and 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 before when we talked about i know you mentioned um you know uh, stalkers and people who of bad intent but the one of the things that I don't think people realize is that the government is not our friend and that the government is not there to uh it's there for its own protection not for your protection and so I think that 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 the one of the ways that we dig ourselves out is number one, education. You're definitely doing that with our podcast. And then number two, uh, making it very difficult for them to do the surveillance at some point, you know, in a theoretical universe, if everybody is using VPNs, if everybody is 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 doing a few a few things, it becomes cost prohibitive for the government to become the surveillance state. In other words. It's a, exactly. it's a silent way for the people to rise up against the tyranny of surveillance.
0: Yeah, We don't have to take pickaxes and hammers and staves and torches and burn the surveillance state to the ground. Literally, we can just burn the surveillance state to the ground figuratively by opting out. And this is so you're getting into something that I haven't even addressed yet uh, on my podcast. And it is this. When enough of us do this, before there to be a surveillance state, it pretty much has to be universal, right? Right. They can't surveil everybody unless they're surveilling everybody. It's enough of everybody, and it doesn't even it doesn't even mean everybody because look. Let me tell you, there are people out there that will gladly uh, exchange their birthright of liberty and privacy for the the lentil soup of convenience, uh, or coffee. Right. Uh, I'll tell you uh, just a, a brief story to illustrate that. So my youngest daughter, who's now away at college, and she's a wonderful young lady, um, she, years ago, she was probably 15, 15 years old. Um, she used Bing as her search engine of choice. And it would drive me crazy because Bing is owned and operated by Microsoft. And Microsoft is simply harvesting all your data. It's really just that simple. The whole reason that the Microsoft operating system as it exists now, the Windows, exists, is to harvest your data. Uh, and the, all of their services are designed that way. And that's, clear, that's spelled out very clearly, by the way, in their terms of service. If you read that, if you print it, it's 110 pages, and it's 40-some-odd thousand words. But <laughs> read it. Read some of it. Scan it. Find articles on it. I've written about it. Um, they flat out say that they own your data. What a pictures, videos, documents. If it's on your computer and it's on their operating system, they own it. And you click I agree. So, it would drive me crazy. She was using Bing, right? And I said, sweetheart, right. why do you use Bing? And she said, Oh, Dad, because for every search that I do, I get points, and then they add those points up, and at the end of the month, uh, I get you know I can convert those points over into gift cards, and I get a Starbucks gift card, and I get coffee. And I said, you are trading your birthright of privacy for a cup of coffee. I'll tell you what, sweetheart. You use DuckDuckGo as your search engine, and I'll buy your coffee.
1: <laughs> That's a good dad
0: there. Right? <laughs> Just And she does now. And, and she switched over to Linux for her laptop years ago, because the Windows 10 thing really threw everybody for a loop. And if y'all, y'all don't remember this, this is when Windows transitions between Windows Seven and Eight to Windows Ten, uh, and baked in all of this just outright spyware. The entire operating system now is designed as spyware, and they got caught doing this, and they they deny it, but their denial sounds like no, no, no. Trust us. We'll prove it. Oh, just trust us. It's good. Oh, it's good. Oh, you something shiny's over there, you know. And there's no. Like it's happening, like point blank. Like computer analysts have shown, Windows dialing home, calling back, and narking your data out to them. There have been reports of people that had uh, a version of software on their computer that Windows, Microsoft, could not verify. And I don't, even, I don't even Windows, Microsoft software. I mean, like I've got a video game that I play all the time, and then one day I boot up my computer and that game is gone.
1: Right, because.
0: Microsoft deleted it off my computer because they could not confirm that I had a license to, to use that. Wow. So uh, once all that started happening, she came back to me, she's like, um, Hey dad, if you've got time, can, can you put Linux on my computer? I dropped what I was doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, Oh, baby, why don't you ask me to tell you about my Catholic faith too? Yeah, she's <laughs> Catholic too so I'm just seeing, but it's like, you know, there are a handful of things that like, I really love to love, to do, uh, and in fact, I've got a notebook somewhere uh, with uh, in the back. Of it, I've got a bunch of Windows stickers because if you come to me and say, "Hey, Mitch, will you put uh, Linux on my laptop?" I say, "Oh, yeah." And the only thing it'll cost you is that sticker right there. That's right. That, that, that's my that that that's the notch on my on my gun belt, oh, right? Beautiful. Uh, you know, that goes in the back of my 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 Ubuntu Linux notebook uh, to show how many computers, how many Windows laptops <laughs> I've destroyed and then raised. From the dead. Exactly. That's resurrected in the
1: laptop. Made, made people owners right. of their own computers again.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because, you know, you said something earlier and, and we're getting kind of a skew here, but that's okay. It's a long form narration. That's all right. That, so we're allowed to do that. Um, you said something earlier about your computer that you allegedly own. And I will say it is only alleged. Uh, you don't, you, if, if you're running Uh, Windows on your computer or you're running Mac on your computer, you might own the hardware. You do not own the operating system. You own a license to use the
1: operating system. Not if it's an Apple computer because they won't let you fix it.
0: Well, See, and and that's where we get into the right to fix, which is a big deal right now with people, uh, manufacturers denying you the right. So did I or did I not purchase this? Do I, or do I not own this? The answer is both yes and no. But where the software is concerned, unless you're running open source software, the answer is no, you do not own your operating system. You do not own that video game. You do not, own, you don't own that movie.
1: And, you and you know, DVD, again, you it's, purchase, it's one of those things that we know
0: to look at that.
1: Right. And it's one of those things that yeah. we know. Cause yeah. when we buy it, what do we do? We purchase a license. We don't purchase the software. We purchase a license. And that and that That's becomes right. and a so, legal term that means you don't own it. You're renting it, and you do not have the right to use it as you want.
0: And they have the right at any point to rescind that. Yep. They ex- they can exercise the right to say, "Nope, we're going to kill that," and you can never ever use it no more. And and it's wrong. So so what happened was I it, I I'd taken some computer classes. I mean, I, I really am a nerd um, and in those computer classes and this was years before all of this, I was introduced to Linux and I checked it out and I liked it, but you know, I wasn't philosophically there yet. This was right about the same time that I was waking up to the video cameras and all of that stuff. So, you know, I needed to bake a little longer. I wasn't quite done. Uh, but now flash forward a few years, I'm on staff with the John Birch society. We're living out in, in uh, we were in Raleigh at the time we had moved back to the East Coast. And, um, I had a little netbook. If the people remember net weren't those. Things those oh, jobs? sure. Um, but it came—it came with Windows uh, installed on it, and I upgraded to the full version of Windows, and this just worked just fine. And I upgraded the RAM, and it was just worked just fine. Uh, and I keep saying it was supposed to, because it never actually did. Um, and then uh, about every six months, I would get a blue screen of death. If you've never had a blue screen of death, God bless you—you you are a very fortunate person. This is when your entire screen goes blue, and your computer will not respond to anything you do. It's a Windows thing, and it stinks. Uh, so about every six months, I'd get a BSOD. And I finally just decided I had dealt with the last one. Now, I'm, I'm very good about backing up my data. If you're not backing up your data, uh, you may as well just go ahead and delete everything now. Uh, if you care about it, back it up. Like, put it on something else and keep it away. Um, but, so I'm good about that. So, you know, about every six months, I would have to reinstall my operating system. And then, of course, now it's weird because the computer came with Windows. I should just be able to put Windows back on it and use it. No, no, no. Now I've got to go find the driver for the Wi-Fi card. I've got to find the driver for the keyboard, the driver right. for the graphics, the driver for the sound card. It's like, wait, why isn't that part of Windows? This is a Windows computer. But no, no, no. It doesn't work like that. So I decided I wasn't going to deal with it anymore. I downloaded Ubuntu Linux and uh, installed it on my computer in a dual boot, meaning that when I powered up my machine, it would stop and ask me the question, which operating system do you want? Do you want Windows or Linux? And after about two weeks, I realized it's been two weeks since I've opened that Windows partition. Why am I giving them half of my real estate? Right. I formatted the hard drive, reinstalled Ubuntu, and I have never looked back. That has been, um, that was before my son was born, and so that's been nine or ten years. now. Wow! Um, and uh, so initially, it was just about like not dealing with the the technological issues of Windows and not it, right. but I very quickly began to realize the philosophy of open source software is the philosophy of liberty. It is the philosophy of freedom. I actually own my operating system. I own every piece of software that I'm running on my computer. I can do anything I want to with it. I can download the source code if I want to and learn how to hack that and make it do something different than the manufacturer intended. And no one cares. The only thing I can't do with open source software is deny you the right to do the same thing. Yeah. So if I take a piece of open source software and create my own derivative of it, I can pass that along. I just can't restrict what you do with it. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. Absolutely. And so I real quickly realized, like this, this is the operating system for for, You know, it. it I, this is amazing. And um, so yeah, just check it out. Uh, I think we've kind of kind of gotten out in the weeds and, and stuff that's a little more technical than we probably wanted to. But
1: no, it's fine. I, it, th- it's, I think it's, people it's need a, to hear part of who I am. Yeah, and it, and it, and people need to hear alternatives of what they're already doing. We are we are coming up to the end, so again, we're talking to C. Mitchell Shaw, the host of the Enemy of the Surveillance State podcast. And quick, uh, give us maybe maybe one, two, or three, just a few things. What, let's say people they see there's a problem, they're not really ready to upend their lives and and you know change you know too much. But what are, what are a few things that simple things that people can do to maybe put a a cog in the system, make it a little more difficult for sure. people to to surveil them?
0: Okay. So, uh, and, and we'll look at like like surface level things because that's usually where you get the most bang for your buck. Right. Uh, you know, it's like a lot. It's like a lot of things. Like when I'm doing my podcast, um, I can record my podcast and then I. You know, there are people that that's that they just they just post that raw audio and people listen to their podcast. I I do a lot of posts. I imagine you do a lot of post editing, um, you know, cleaning up the sound and and making it sound better. But there's a point at which you go, okay, I've spent an hour and I'm 90 percent of the way there. And I could spend another five hours to get the other 10 percent there, but I'm good. I'm just going to post it. Right. Right. Um, So this is like that. What are the simplest things on the surface that listeners could do? Uh, to kind of secure their data. I would say first thing first, um, if you are using uh, an internet browser like Microsoft Edge or Microsoft Internet Explorer, stop that. Stop that. Uh, if you are using Google's Chrome, stop that. It is Google Chrome. The the first word is Google. They The whole reason they give you an operating system is to harvest your data. Download Firefox and... Um, and do a quick internet search using DuckDuckGo, DuckDuckGo, not Google, by the way. So that's my second thing is change your search engine. If you're Googling things, uh, don't. Uh, That is how they harvest so much of what they do. There has to be a way that Google is worth hundreds of billions of dollars giving software and services away. That's right. And it is because the software and the services are not their product. Your data is their product. And they give you this software to use so that you will leave your data to them and they can sell it. So don't don't let them do that. Use DuckDuckGo as your search engine. uh, Install the Firefox browser and then do a DuckDuckGo search for how to better secure that. There are some very simple browser add-ons that people can install in a couple of clicks. They're already configured and they will block a lot of that stuff. My favorite browser, my favorite browser is Brave. Brave browser does it's based on the same software that Chrome is based on, but it has none of the Google bit, and he locks down a lot of that other stuff already right from the beginning. The guy that created the, the the Brave browser, so you know Firefox or Brave, either one of those would be a great choice for your next browser. Duck, Duck Go or Start Page are great search engines that do not track you. They oh, are, that's they, huge! They promise it up front. Their software is open source so people can actually analyze this themselves and see that truly you are not being monitored. You are not being cataloged and tracked. And then the final thing I would say uh, is just like you think about situational awareness in the three-dimensional world, you need to think about situational awareness in the digital space. Like that teenager who all those years ago out in Texas posted that she was on her way to work. Um, what a bad idea. And somebody who was knowledgeable and loved her could have said, sweetheart, never do that. Never, never do that. So be situationally aware and think, uh, this thing that I am posting, this thing that I am sharing, um, would I want this to be on the front page above the fold of my local newspaper? And if the answer is anything less than I could not care less, don't post it. Don't say it, don't do it. Not, not, in a public way uh so be situationally aware and then stop and ask yourself this question if i wanted to surveil me right now and the activity that i am doing on this device could i do it could someone do it and if the answer is yes just just think about that turn off data location on on your phone unless you absolutely need the map to get somewhere, but it needs to be turned off in your camera settings. Go into your camera settings, do an internet search because everyone's a little bit different, um, depending on which version of, of Android you're using or whether you're using iOS. But just do a quick search, you'll find a YouTube video that will show you how to do it or something like that. Uh, turn off location settings in your in your um, camera and keep location settings turned off in your phone unless you need the map for something like this moment. And those would be the, the surface level things I would do. And then of course, check out my podcast enemyofthesurveillancestate.podbean.com, of the surveillance or wherever you listen to podcasts, because I've made sure it's available on all of the major directories. It's on Stitcher, it's on um, Spotify. If you're looking for it, you'll find it. It's on iTunes, it's on Google, you'll find it. Uh, and check it out because these are the things that we talk about there every week. We talk about uh, both the philosophy of the surveillance state and the tools that are available to help you protect yourself. That's and I, I try to keep it simple. Uh, I think I told you this before we started recording, Mike. Uh, I am bilingual. I speak both geek and human. Uh, so I, I translate. I sort of act as an intermediary between the geek world <laughs> that understands this stuff and the human world that wishes it understood this stuff.
1: Right. So that's and, what
0: I try to do on my podcast.
1: And I think we heard that today. <laughs> I think we heard a little bit of the geek and, and that translated into human. I think people, um, I really, I'm grateful for you being on the show today um again this is a uh, c Mitchell shaw the host of the enemy of the, of the surveillance state podcast you can find him at, on podbean you can find him on uh Google wherever you find it, you listen to your podcast also he does have a patreon um and which is patreon.com forward slash enemy of the of surveillance enemy of surveillance um and i understand that that you're getting some digs you're getting some some t-shirts and and some uh uh, some some wearables with, uh, yeah.
0: is that right? Yeah, so so I had to make a decision early on. I mean, obviously, um, I I may not be a greedy capitalist pig, but the the people that, that I owe money to for my house every month <laughs> are, and the people at <laughs> the grocery store are, and the power company is, and the water company is, and the phone company is. And so, I you know, sadly, it is, it is what it is. You've got to be a little bit mercenary because money does make the world go round. For sure. It at least keeps the people I love from starving to death. Um, and being exposed to the element. So I knew I had to find a way to monetize this. And I decided early on that would not be through ads because I want my listeners to know that if I recommend a service or a product, it is, it's probably going to be software because that's the people who are listening to me, right? Like, it wouldn't make sense for me to be like, you know, and this ointment is so good. It's, my <laughs> skin feels so smooth. Like, who cares? That's not why I listen to you. Mitch, talk to me about like, you know what? 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 What's the next phone I need to buy? Right. So if I recommend a phone or a laptop or a piece of software, I want my listeners to know that it is because I believe in it and not because somebody paid me to say that. So how to monetize? And that's why I decided to launch the pod, uh, the uh, Patreon account, and it's why I'm launching a line of merch, uh, so that people who listen to the show and enjoy the show and want to support the show can.
1: That's great. Well, most so of if all, if you're
0: interested, you know, you look, if you listen to my show and you like what you hear. Check out my Patreon account, you know, and I set the levels really, really low all the way up to a little bit higher, so that you know anybody at just about any level that wants to support could, uh, and so that's why I'm doing that.
1: Right on. Well, thanks again, Mitch. Thanks for for being on the show. This is Mike Levitt. You are listening to "And If Love Remains." It's the podcast about people. So uh, thank you. And hey, we'll talk. We got to do this again, right? Absolutely. All right. It was fun. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody. See you next time.